Each week, we take a moment, sit down, and talk about things going on at the road in what we call the Road Detour. Hey, welcome to the Road Detour. And uh, we got a guy with us this week that has become a good friend to me. And uh, it's been a, a, a pleasure to watch him grow. And he has probably grown about as much as anybody I've seen. I mean, man, just impressive. But he's got the most incredible life story. This is Steve Coleman. He's our guitarist. So you're actually, what are you, a rhythm, a lead, or both? Both. Both for our band. Been here a long time. Yeah, a few years. A uh, few years, few years. And uh, just just the greatest guy. And we're going to. We're gonna unpack his life story today. So, Steve, tell me, tell me, where you're born? Tell me how you how you got started. How old are you? I'm <laughs> I'm 69. 69 years old. You were born in Bowley, Oklahoma, about 60 miles east. Okay, Bowley, Oklahoma. I think it's still 1970 in Bowley. <laughs> <laughs> Great place, but there were 300 people roughly when I left. Okay, what was growing up like for you? Well, my dad was a county agent, so we were always around uh, farm stuff. We always raised cattle and other animals, pigs sometimes, different things, and he was always experimenting with stuff. Uh, but uh, my closest brother, my, my it's, it's five of us, five boys, and we were real spread out. Okay. So the closest one to me was six years older. Okay. So when he was about 15 or 16, he started smoking and drinking, and so did I, but he was fifteen or sixteen. I was nine or ten. Oh wow, <laughs> wow! So so, and and we're gonna get there. But what you're saying is alcohol became part of your life at ten years old. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, me and a friend were walking across this. So the little my little hometown is known for quite a few things, but one it makes really good moonshine whiskey. Okay. And a friend of mine. We were about nine or ten, and we were walking across this field, and we found a stash. Okay. And we decided that uh, we didn't want to take a bunch of them because they'd know that we found their stash and they'd move it. So we only took one or two at a time, and we could keep going back to that stash. You keep tapping it. Yeah. So. Wow. So we, I had a source of alcohol. You know, I couldn't go ask my parents for it or anything, but I had a way. And I think back. Cause you know when I'm going through this, it's all natural to me. I don't, I didn't think about any of this when I was growing up. But I look back at it. Uh, I didn't care how it tasted, cause you normally drink that crap hot out of a quart jar. I like the way it made me feel at ten years old. Yeah. Was there anything behind that? I mean, your family life was solid and good. Oh, yeah. It was just, it was just. I'm in search of a good feeling. My dad, uh, to my knowledge, never drank. Wow. Uh, and I didn't know a lot of his brothers uh, because he was older by the time I came along. I never knew either of my grandparents, either of my grandfathers. I knew one grandmother. But my mother's brothers drank pretty heavy. Okay. I saw that. But, I mean, most alcoholics, uh, they're not drinking to get in trouble. They drink to have fun. So you used the word alcoholic. Uh, you've told me, but I'm going to ask you because our people don't know you. You are an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. How, how long? Well, t 60 years. 60 years. And you've been clean and sober. We celebrated your fifth anniversary. Am I, am I remembering that right? Yeah. Fifth anniversary sober. 
not that long ago, was it? Last February. Last February. Okay. So oh my, you're five you're five and a half years yeah. sober now. And so take me through that journey. Did your brother, did he continue on the path? Out of the five of us, four of us drank like me, and uh, one didn't. Never cared for it. Uh, uh, two have passed away. Okay. Uh, they drank pretty heavy. But I never knew I was an alcoholic. You know, I, I just thought I liked to drink. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't understand it. Uh, the different levels of alcoholics. You know, there's some down on the street that that can't function. Uh, can't yeah. function. Yeah. I yeah. was I was functioning. Okay. Me and my uh, brothers were functioning. Uh, but I've learned that what defines it is once you start drinking, you can't stop. They no matter it, why. Yeah, they call it a phenomenon of craving. And they, they, they understand now it's part of metabolism. We don't metabolize alcohol like a normal person. Okay. That's why it's a disease. That's why it's this treatment for uh-huh. You know, it's not just a fluke. And I never understood that. Now I see it was so consistent. This happened to me over and over, and, and I never saw it, which, which kind of reminds me of, of the biblical concept about not being able to see the log in your own eye. Right. And you can spot the splinter. Where <laughs> oh, man, the biggest blind spots are for our own lives. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So let me, let me pause you for a second. So when music enter this picture for you, because if you don't know it, if you're watching this, one of the most accomplished guitarists in, in Oklahoma, right here, Steve Coleman. <laughs> well, thank so you. So w- when did... Music enter your life? Well, my mom taught music privately, uh, private lessons, and uh, all my brothers played. Uh, my older brothers played classical okay. piano, and all of us played trumpet growing up. Uh, but when I saw the Beatles, I started having interest in the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm from this little town. that I didn't even know anyone that owned a guitar. Wow. So I had to basically kind of teach myself. And we've had that conversation. You told me you just sat down and listened to records for over and over and, and figure out what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's people my age, that's how we normally learned. Okay. So you grow up. At what point do you leave your hometown? Oh, as soon as I could. I was 17 years old. Okay. I went to OU for a while. Okay. And uh, started playing. Uh, first real band I ever played in was at OU. And I got a got a job offer to go to Austin, Texas, and that's what I did. One summer, summer job. <laughs> so, so you walked away from OU. Did you go full time music at that point? Yeah. Okay, full time music. Okay, I gotta ask this. Tell me some names of people you've played with. Oh, uh, a lot of blues guys like ZZ Hill opened up for Ray Charles different people like it's that. It's funny because I just watched a documentary on ZZ Top. Yes, I watched a documentary on ZZ Top, <laughs> and they picked their name up, the front part of their name from ZZ Hill. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They combined, because they started noticing the the initials, B.B. King, uh-huh. ZZ Hill. And so they took the ZZ and and combined it. I forget where they got the top part. But yeah, just interesting that you well, mentioned Most people that. don't even know that name. Yeah. But I played with him for quite a bit. But uh, those guys like uh, ZZ Top, they were Texas blues men. And so that's when I really learned to play was in Texas. Okay. It's a lot of blues, a lot of great blues guitar players in Texas. Well, just great guitar players, period, in Texas. Must be something in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So you played with some of the great blues players. Uh, did you play with anybody that everybody out there might know, or the most recognizable name? No, I don't know. No, not that, not that I know. I didn't know if you're ever on the big stage with anybody or not. And, and so, like okay. Rufus Thomas, a lot of people don't know who that is. Okay. So, uh, we got but, a bug in here. Yeah, but, uh, Orleans around. But they were pretty big in, in the R&B market. But okay. So, I, I did a project with a guy, uh, uh, G.C. Cameron, who, uh, who actually recorded the first big song that Stevie Wonder wrote called It's a Shame. He was a singer for the Spinners. I, I produced some music for him. Wow. But yeah, I'm just kind of just making a living, you know. So we're drinking and we're playing. Kind of a could be a dangerous combination because <laughs> of, of where you're at and stuff. Tell me how bad it got before it changed. Well, I I did it every night. So uh, my tolerance was real high. You know, I started at 10 drinking corn whiskey, so my tolerance was pretty high already. Uh, I never knew I was an alcoholic. I thought it was normal because I could function. But looking back, I passed out behind the wheel of a car many times. Yeah. And uh, I'm just thankful I didn't kill myself or somebody else. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I've had wrecks. I've totaled cars. But normally, if I felt... Uh, myself getting to that point, I'd pull over and go to sleep and get up the next morning. Finish out. One one morning I did that, and uh, the highway patrol knocked on the window, woke me up. Was that an arrest, or was that just a warning? That was an, an arrest. So I got friends that never got a DUI, mm -hmm. that probably drank more than I did even, uh, which is weird, the thought. But I'd been stopped many times. Uh, the way I drank, you wouldn't know I was drunk until about four, three, four, five, just depending on the night. Because once I got drunk, I didn't stop. I just kept going. And, uh, you know, uh, about three, four, five in the morning, it would hit me all of a sudden. And I can't walk, can't talk, sloppy drunk. Yeah. I go from functioning to just, and it didn't seem like it was a, Progressive things. It it's seems, like a light switch. Yes, it's all of a sudden I can't hardly oh. walk. Yeah. Wow. So, what became the catalyst for you to look at your life and say something's got to change? Okay, it's kind of funny because I never, I never saw it. So, I get this first DUI, and I call a friend about a lawyer, um, and the lawyer tells me I want you to go to AA meetings, and uh, I started going to meetings for about a year and didn't learn nothing. I get a second DUI, <laughs> and uh, I started back going, and all of a sudden, uh, this thought hits me. Uh, maybe you don't drink normal. Do you remember when this happened? Which is amazing because I never hid those thoughts. They were, uh, they would, I accepted the behavior. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, something made me question that behavior. Huh. Uh, me and some friends considered that just a moment of grace. Yeah, I was going to tell you, you said you never understood why that guy knocked on your window. I'd say God made him oh, knock yeah. on your window. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, got a, I got a real interesting story for you. And I told this the other night, which I didn't see when it happened. I'm looking back on this. The last time I got stopped, I was going east 
on 63rd Street. I drove down that street. I played at that, this last bar I played at for over 10 years. So no telling how many times I drove down that street. But this time I drove and the, and the Nichols Hills police was going west. I'm going east. And it's a little hill there. So I didn't see him to the last minute. And my lights were on bright. And he signaled. He told me, because I didn't notice this, but he, t- he told me he, he uh, signaled for me to dim my lights, and I didn't. He turns around, hits his lights on me. Well, right there where the Oklahoma City golf course stops, it's about five or six houses. <laughs> and right where his lights hit me, there's a little house right there to my right. I didn't know it. I it probably took a year before this to happen. That's where my sponsor owned that house and used it as an office. Wow. So I met there <laughs> once a week for the next year. Where he pulled you over. The exact spot. <laughs> God's got some funny ways of doing stuff at times, doesn't he? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And so that questioning, that that moment began your journey oh, to no. sobriety? Yeah, that moment. Uh, so... It led me to read the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and it suggested that uh, they, call, they call it an allergy. They, they're, they're claiming that I don't process alcohol like the normal person. To the normal person, it's a depressant. The normal person drinks two or three, and they don't want any more. I drink two or three, and I'm ready to party. And so they say the only solution to that is to not drink. And I go, well, I can't. <laughs> there's no way in the world I could do that. Right. So I reached out for help. I asked a guy to, to help me work those steps. And, uh, you know, too, one of, one of the major things is prayer. That's one of the main, main, major things they teach you is prayer and, uh, and asking God to fix me, not to do that. You know, I asked God to take that away, to help me stay sober. Another, so let me pause you for yeah. a second because I think that's significant. So you're saying that that, most of us pray, oh, God, please make me not want alcohol anymore. But the prayer is, God, fix what it is in me that makes me want alcohol. It's a little more subtle, but norm- normally they just ask me not to drink today. But there's another powerful uh, spiritual concept going on, which is one day at a time, which at the, at the time went over my head. But looking back, it's all about perception. If you're trying to deal with an issue that's overwhelming, you just don't do it. You yeah, you can't, you can't beat it. Right, it's too big. But my sponsor said, can you not drink today? Can you ask God to help you not drink today? It's, it's taking a step that you're able to accomplish. Yeah, it's like, like, like uh, trying to do 100 push-ups. If you can do 10 and you do reps of 10, you can do 100 before you know it. This is what we talk about with spiritual growth. Exactly. Right, is that you look at people and you go, you're going to read the Bible through this whole year. It's too big. It's too much, right? And so do something. Take one step and take it every day after that. Add more to it. And, and, then, and then next thing you know, you're, you're growing. And 10 years down the road, you're way further than you ever thought you'd be. You know, too, that's one of the things I love about this church is uh, the practical application. You know, I, I have a saying. and I've Way before I came here now, I had this concept. You know, I just hadn't been around very many ministries that approached it that way but my feeling is if you can't use it monday morning what good is it you always get in the pulpit on sunday <laughs> yeah that's true and so i judge everything by that can i use this information and and that's what you do 
You well, know, appreciate that. I want people to know that that's what's going on here. In my opinion, a practical approach to these spiritual concepts. Man, I appreciate that. So you begin your journey with your sponsor, and you're doing your meetings. Did it go smoothly and wonderfully? Well, that first year, so I'm glad you asked that because to most of the people that know me, they saw immediate, unbelievable growth. But that's not how it happened. For that first year, I I went in those meetings and didn't hear anything. You know, my, my uh, because I was not there because of alcoholism. I was there because I had a legal issue. Yeah, you got in trouble. Yeah. yeah. And my lawyer said, if you go to these meetings and you get this paper signed, so he showed me how to draw this paper up and get it signed, and they do that at every meeting. Uh, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that to the judge. So it takes a while from when you first get arrested till you actually see the judge. And so I had pages and pages and pages of, of meetings. And he said, when I show that to the judge, he's going to say, you know, Mr. Coleman has been working on this. Oh, it works wonders. But that's the only reason I went. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to stop drinking. Right. Matter of fact, one time, because my lawyer's in AA, so this whole thing was a trick on me. But, <laughs> but uh, one day he asked me, he goes, have you stopped drinking yet? And I thought, What's that got to do with what we're talking about? <laughs> what's, what's that A meeting's got to do with uh, me stopping to drink? Uh, do you need to tie them together? <laughs> uh. So I think uh, my growth started when I read the book. Okay. So uh, the, first, the way I understand it, the first time in history in that book is where they diagnosed alcoholism and addiction. Okay. And when I read that, I thought, I gotta not drink at all. Right. <laughs> I need help with that. So you you've been here for a while, and, and I'm just gonna tell you what I've seen in you. Um, you you were a a hired band member when you first got here, and you were here because you were a hired band member, right? You came and wrote your check, and you played, did a great job. But as time passed, you began to take an interest in what was happening here. And became more and more a part of what was happening here. In well, t- from day one. Yeah. But you might not know how I got here. I don't. Well, the alcohol, the guitar player before me was an alcoholic. Okay. And he was struggling, and he asked me for help. I know who that is. I'm not going to say his yeah. name because I don't, you know, yeah. don't know and where he, he's at right now. He's but, doing well. Okay. I think he's doing well. So we're talking about Shane. Yeah. Okay. And so Shane asked me to help him, and Shane was in real bad shape. Uh, and so I had... I took Shane to the hospital multiple times. And you filled in for him? I filled in. Wow. And I left. You know, I wasn't trying to, because I live on 63rd and MacArthur. (laughs) Right. It's a long trip over here. (laughs) I was just trying to help out Shane, but Shane just didn't work out here. Yeah. And uh, Paul asked me if I would be interested. And from day one, I knew uh, this practical approach was what I've been, uh, that's been my approach to spirituality for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. And so uh, you join the church, yeah. become part of who we are. And here, here's where we are right now. Um, so Steve comes to us. I don't even know if it was a year ago. I don't know what my time frame is. He says, listen, I want to start walking with people who walk the path I walked. And uh, so we, we made an agreement that we would uh, we, we'd make a big deal about it or anything, but we'd start, God dropped these people in our lap. Somebody came up and said, I'm struggling with addiction. I'm struggling with a, a family member that I love who's struggling with addiction. By the way, let me tell you this, this is my testimony. It touches everybody. 
It's touched our life, my family's life. We have people in our family, immediate family, who struggle with alcohol. I mean, it is a powerful, powerful thing. And so he opens his life up, and he says, look, I'll walk with these people, and starts a meeting on Wednesday evenings uh, after our Wednesday evening service about 8 o'clock, and uh, we're able to direct people to him. He just spends time with them, man, just spends time with them, walks with them, and we've had a number of different people who've become part of that, and that's what you're doing here now. Yes. Serving the church, serving yes. Jesus. Well, you know, too, uh, that's part of my recovery Okay, is to help others. That started way back in the 30s. Uh, and a lot of people don't know this, but the program actually started in a church. Oh, wow. It was called the Oxford Group. Okay. So I think this is hilarious. But all of the concepts came from a religious organization, and this was these steps were not for alcoholics. They were for everybody. Right. And so this guy, Bill Wilson, uh, took it and tried to make it more spiritual than religious so he could uh, help more alcoholics because most alcoholics don't want to hear anything about religion. Right. And so when I talk to somebody, even somebody in the church, and they talk about their struggles, I said, well, it's been my experience that the only thing that's going to help you with that is God. And then they go, well, no thanks. I'll try something else. Right, right. <laughs> they don't want to start with God. They may end up with yeah. God, yeah. but it's hard to start there for them. Yeah. yeah. And then two, most of them want a quick fix. When you say this, this might take a while, they, they, they freeze up. But that's just part of it. I've, I've dealt with that ever since I've been in it. So it it's not frustrating because I have to look at my own life. Oh, for a year, I didn't want to hear it. I'm just there to yeah. beat this ticket. <laughs> you know? Wow. Listen, man, I, I am constantly amazed at the grace of God. Yes. And, yes. and the lives that he fits together. And uh, I'm going to tell you that... What you see sitting in this chair here, this is who the guy is. He's gentle. He's peaceful. Uh, he is a joy to talk to, and we are privileged that he's involved in the ministry here. I love you, man. Love you, too. <laughs> and uh, appreciate you taking some time to talk with us on the Road Detour. Thank you. Guys, thanks for joining us. Um, we will see you next week. Uh, we try to do this every week and try to make it special for you and meaningful for you. And if you, if you or somebody you know, somebody you love, if you're struggling with an addiction, with an alcohol issue, 8 o'clock, Wednesday nights. Yes. Yeah. Show up here. We'll get you hooked up with Mr. Steve. Room 202. Room 202, 8 o'clock. See ya. See ya.